I want to know how many of you got an extra hour's rest last night. Okay. How many of you didn't know it until you got up this morning that you were off an hour? A couple of you did. Okay. Um, how many of you took your hour's rest earlier in the week, like I suggested last week? Nobody? Okay. Um, every year, in my experience, we usually have somebody come late when it's daylight savings, and we have somebody come early when the, in the fall when the clock falls back. So I don't know if anybody got here earlier and then got to the parking lot and then drove off. But um, Chris mentioned about our, our uh, coming district conference for um, our student ministry. That's our high school and uh, middle school ministry. We are just on the ground level of uh, getting our new student ministry off the ground. Last night we had 11 students at our second event of, uh, since we started uh, student ministries. One of the big things that's coming in January is our districts. And um, a couple things. One, parents, this is coming fast. We have to have our uh, registrations in by December 1st. It's coming very fast. And that also means we have to have the money in by December 1st. It's $120 um, regular registration, $130 if you get the T-shirt, okay? Um, we want you to know that. At the same time, I want you to know that we're establishing a student ministry fund. So actually the offering today is a general fund offering. If you want to give to the student ministry fund, you give to the Bridge Church, and then you put in your memo, student ministry fund, okay? And that will go to help student ministries in the future. So it will help with districts right away. If we have money after that and what will, the fund will remain open, it will just help what we do with student ministry. So that fund is open. Please give it to it as you're able and as above and your regular giving. Okay. Um, I think that's mainly. Then regarding the communication cards, we hope you will fill out the communication cards every week, every person. Let us know you're here, okay? You don't have to put out a lot of information, but let us know you're here. Okay, here we go. Radical Living, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We are continuing our study in the book of James. Actually, this is the eighth week. Can you believe that already? The eighth week. Last year, there was a violent attack in Tucson, Arizona, and, and uh, most of you know that Representative Gabrielle Giffords was uh, injured seriously. Six people were killed and 14 were injured in that shooting. Larry Greenmeyer um, wrote an article, What Causes Someone to Act on Violent Impulses and Commit Murder? And um, they did some research afterwards. And in the Scientific American published online, this article asked why some people can control their anger and frustrations, why others lack self-control. Why do some people have self-control? Why do others lack self-control? Um, and then Marco Okabani, a UCLA professor of psychiatry, wrote this. Now listen carefully. About a year ago, I was... I was at the World Economic Forum, and we had dinner with talks on intelligence. University of Michigan professor of social psychology, Richard Nisbet, and I throw out a lot of names, 
But this is the world's greatest authority on intelligence. At least some people think so. And here's what he had to say. He said, I'd rather have my own son learn self-control than be intelligent. If he could pick which his son was highest in, he said, I'd rather have my son learn self-control in life. He says, because the brain makes us easily susceptible to all sorts of influences, watching a movie, showing a violent acts predisposes us to act violently. Even just listening to a violent rhetoric makes us more inclined to be violent. Now, the Apostle James in the first century understood this. He understood the significance of self-control. Um, for example, in James chapter 1, if you'll remember this, Verse uh, 26, James writes, If anyone considers himself religious, and we said devoted to Christ, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. He was talking about the need to control the tongue, control, to be able to rein your, in your tongue and, and be careful about what it says. Um, we're going to be in James chapter 3, and if you need a Bible, um, just slip up your hand. We can we have some guys ready to hand them out. They, they were ready a few couple of minutes ago, and then I kept talking. So just slip up your hand if you'd like to grab one of the Bibles at the bridge. Now, last week we talked about the power of words. James chapter 3, the power of the tongue, uh, how... Sometimes dangerous it is. Remember, we saw that video of Adolf Hitler, the power of words, and it's like a fire, and, and it, it can be very dangerous and can be set on fire by the course of hell, can be used for evil as well as for good. And we talked about how important it is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and um, to, to be led by the Spirit in our speech. Um, as we come to our passage this morning in verses 13 through 18, I want to look at a uh, paragraph that describes um, what we're going to talk about. A key right to talk is right thought. The tongue is contained in a cage of teeth and lips, but it still escapes. Think about that. You got Your tongue is in a cage right now. It's held back by your teeth and your lips. But it still escapes. It's not intelligence that keeps the lock on that cage. It is wisdom. That's what we're talking about today. A wisdom characterized by humility, grace, and peace. And that brings us to James chapter 3. And if you're following on your outline in your program, heavenly wisdom is displayed through a Christ follower's lifestyle. Heavenly wisdom is displayed through a Christ follower's lifestyle. Verse 13, who was wise and understanding among you? The question is, how can you tell if someone is really wise? And um, James asks us that question. Are you wise? Are you really wise? Are, do you really have understanding? That's a good question to examine ourselves about. Uh, the word wise means moral insight and skill in practical issues of life. Are you wise? Do you have moral insight? Do you have skill as it relates to everyday situations and everyday problems and everyday uh, decisions? 
Understanding is the intellectual, intellectual perception about life. It includes facts. It includes truth, information, knowledge. It's all kinds of ways that we can gather information and knowledge. Who is wise and understanding among you? Are you? And then James answers, true wisdom is demonstrated by, in the way someone lives. True wisdom is demonstrated in the way someone lives. Verse 13, he says, let him show it by his good life. You know, James is probably from Missouri or something like that. The show me state, he says, show me. Um, let him show it by his good life. I don't want you to say it. I don't, I, I, want to, I don't want you to talk about it. I want you to show me. I want to see it in your life. He says, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. If you've heard me talk about wisdom before, perhaps the best definition of wisdom that I know is to say that wisdom is the art of skillful living. This is kind of a definition from the book of Proverbs. The wisdom of God. Wisdom is the art of skillful living. He says it's demonstrated by um, the good life. It's about social conduct with people. It's not about living in an isolated world. It's about our relationships with people. Uh, that our social conduct is noble and honorable in every way. That our conduct with others is an example for others. It's a life uh, worth duplicating. The good deeds. Wisdom is displayed by action, by our good deeds. The outgrowth of putting God's word into practice. Like being uh, from James chapter 1. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. James is about action. Uh, James is about good deeds like caring for the widows and the orphans, like not showing favoritism to the wealthy, like providing food and clothing to those in need. James chapter 2. Deeds that are done to honor God, not to make a name for oneself, not to seek recognition for self. And these deeds are done in humility. Humility is about having an appropriate view of yourself, not having a view that's too high, that's pride, and not having a view that's too low. This plagues some of us sometimes. Sometimes our view of ourselves, we have poor self-esteem, poor self-image, and we don't see the value that God places on us and understand who he is and what he's done for us and what we have in Christ. And we are able to have a proper self-view, uh, proper self-esteem. So our deeds are done in humility, done to honor God. Okay, that's wisdom from above. Secondly, verses 14 through 16, earthly wisdom is displayed through self-centeredness and evil practices. Now we're talking about earthly wisdom. Sometimes when I'm standing for worship, I come up with new ideas. And one of the passages that came to mind while I was standing there is Proverbs 14:12. You can just write this down, but listen to this. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to man. That's earthly wisdom. It's wisdom disconnected from God. It seems right to man. The whole book of uh, Judges is about this. 
Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That was the, the time of the, of, in, in the history of the book of Judges. And it's much like uh, our world today. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. And James would say that's a great example of earthly wisdom. In verse 14, bitter envy and selfish ambition are from an earthly self-focused wisdom. James writes, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Apparently, there was some kind of competitive spirit in the church that James is addressing. Some were harboring bitter envy, bitter bitter jealousy. And these are relational issues, by the way. So much about what James is talking about is how things work out in the church, how things work out in community, how things work out in the church family. And there were some hard harboring bitter envy. Some were selfishly ambitious. The word for envy, envy may also be translated zealous. It is possible that James is confronting some who display an over zealousness for God. And you're saying, how can that be? Well, the way it was working out was they had this view of how, who God is and what uh, was important to God. And it's becoming divisive and they, and there is a proud, there's a selfish ambition about it. And somehow that's not honoring God and it's not humble and it's not according to truth. And whatever is the issue here, um, James says it's earthly wisdom. And he's talking about that this earthly wisdom has selfish ambition. It's about promoting self and about seeking recognition for self. This is man's wisdom disconnected from God. Proverbs 26 uh, verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? This is earthly wisdom. There's more hope for a fool than for him. This is, um, and for James, a person who harbors bitter envy and selfish ambition, he's only wise in his own eyes. Look at verse 15. Such wisdom, this kind of earthly wisdom, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of of the devil. Those are strong words. Self-focused wisdom is ultimately sourced in the devil. That's what James says. Um, such wisdom, a way of thinking, this worldview, this perception about I'm right and this is why I'm right, that's disconnected from God. Um, It allows for bitter envy. It allows for selfish ambition, and it's not from God. It's earthly. James says it's unspiritual. It's of the devil, meaning when we operate in this self-centered style, when it's about us, when we're looking for recognition, um, we're getting ahead, we want to be noticed. Um, James says this is um, consistent with the same way that the devil operates in um, bringing focus away from God. And he says he's of the devil. Uh, 
demonic. Now, it's not necessarily demonic activity. It may be. It could be. But it's consistent with the way the devil operates, according to James. Um, in Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 14, 1, we have that? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. This passage reminds us that there is an earthly kind of wisdom. There are people who say there is no God. That's an earthly kind of wisdom. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of viewing the world. It's coming to a conclusion without God. In verse 16, selfish attitudes open the door to greater evil practices. James writes, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practices. If a person is um, envious, is bitter, has selfish ambition, is self-promoting, self-protecting, seeking to advance his own kingdom instead of Jesus's, James says there's a logical progression that follows It leads to disorder, a life that lacks self-control. And he goes on and he just lets it fly every evil practice. And again, this is more consistent with the same goals that Satan has in establishing a counterfeit kingdom. The work is similar. And and sometimes people think that they're honoring God and they're actually being very self-centered or ambitious and seeking to attract attention to themselves. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 challenges us, do not be wise in your own eyes. James says that's worldly wisdom. Fear the Lord and shun evil because that's going to be the source of wisdom. The source is going to be God. So be careful uh, that you're not just wise in your own eyes. That's a real danger for us. Um, We have a tendency to be common sense approached. There's There's some good things about that. We have a tendency to be practical without God. And that's not wisdom. It's only going to be a small part of where wisdom needs to go. And so James would say, test your attitude and your actions. Do they fit with God's viewpoint? And how do you know? Well, consult Scripture. You can ask God. Consult wise people. Is your decision, is your course of action, is it keeping with true wisdom? Verses 17 and 18, um, James instructs us, heavenly wisdom leads to a harvest of righteousness. Heavenly wisdom leads to a harvest of righteousness. And so we see in verse 17 that true wisdom is sourced in God. James writes, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, that's where it comes from. It's sourced in God. And when James speaks of heaven, he's talking about the place where God resides in the first century. A lot of uh, Jewish people just referred to heaven when they wanted to talk about God because they were careful not to say his name. And so heaven was the place of God, and it's the source of true wisdom, wisdom that comes from heaven. And he's going to describe that, and we're going to work through that. 
True wisdom comes from God, and it's the art of skillful living, the ability to navigate through life, making wise personal decisions, making wise business decisions, making wise academic decisions, making wise career decisions, making wise dating decisions, and making wise parenting decisions, as well as making wise financial decisions. One of my favorite passages is James chapter 1, verse 5. And James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Scripture just is very clear. If you want wisdom, ask God and he wants to give it to you. And sometimes we're looking for a magical answer and sometimes it's waiting and watching and learning and trusting and God gives wisdom and he gives clarity and answer to prayer. But you have to ask. Sometimes we just jump and make decisions. We don't ask. Um, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. That's a great quality of a person who's wise. He continues to learn. If somebody wants to instruct him, he's open about learning. And then, no, back to verse 10. Proverbs 9, 9, there we go, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is the source. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so the proper respect, the pro- putting God in his proper place is the beginning of a wise person's life. Verse 17, true wisdom is pure, James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. This distinguishes it from earthly wisdom. It has pure motives. There is no deceit, no cover-up, no ulterior motives. It is about honesty and integrity. Integrity. Uh, it is pure. Um, a life that's cleansed. And, you know, we're going to be sharing in uh, communion today and uh, just after our message. And the Bible says we should examine ourselves before we come to communion. And our lives really should be pure. Well, how do we get pure? We, we have to be cleansed. We're cleansed when we understand that Jesus died for us and we place our faith in Christ. And we're saved from the penalty of sin. And in that sense, we're cleansed. But on a day-by-day basis... Um, We sometimes mess up, sometimes we fall, we sin, and we need to be cleansed on a daily basis. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. This is to believers, believers only. This is not a non-Christian verse here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us, purify us of all unrighteousness. And so um, uh, true wisdom is pure Clean, no deceit, no darkness, no twist. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. High value for Jesus, being pure. 
Also in verse 17, true wisdom is peace-loving. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. Peace-loving is about relationships. It's about reconciled relationships. Uh, It's about spiritually healthy relationships. This is important. Spiritually healthy relationships. It's not about giving in to make somebody happy. That's not spiritually healthy. That can be very dysfunctional. Um, it's not about one person going silent uh, so the, you won't make the other person mad. That's not a healthy relationship. It's, it's dysfunctional. Um, uh, some people have to uh, choose to survive that way, but it's not what we're talking about as a peacemaker. Peacemakers uh, at times have to speak the truth in love. Uh, they they are wise. They're not about uh, just trying to win the argument. It's about um, resolving conflict sometimes, being a peacemaker. It's not about winning. It's about resolving and the high value on the relationship. Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. One of the things as you read the book of John's, you'll be amazed how many times James is alluding to what Jesus, his brother, said. He listened carefully. Verse 17 also, D, true wisdom is considerate, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate. It shows kindness and thoughtfulness to another, considering the needs of other Consider it very similar to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Um, uh, please notice verse 4. So it's being considerate about looking at, at, at others and looking at the needs of others and serving the needs of others, but Let me say at the same time, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but you should look at your own interests. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a sense there. There's an assumption that that you have a proper care for your own self. So you do have needs. You need to have a proper self-care. That's biblical. But you also look out for the needs of others. And sometimes you choose to put those needs before yourself. But it doesn't mean um, that you don't take care of yourself. Also in verse 17, true wisdom is submissive. submissive. Uh, The idea is willing to listen, willing to be humble, willing to honor God and treat people with honor. Verse uh, 17, and easy to work. uh, A person who is submissive is easy to work with. Um, Not stubborn, not hard to get along with. Now, um, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so that's about there's a need for us to be willing to submit to each other. That means at times I submit to you, at times you would submit to me. And the, the fantastic thing is that comes right before the passages on marriage where it says, uh, wives are to be submissive to their husband, yet there's a sense where husbands have to be submissive to their wives at times. 
Um, but never are we to submit to, to others to disobey God. Never are we to submit to do something immoral. Um, that's not true wisdom. I'm going to skip the next passage on the PowerPoint. True wisdom is full of mercy, uh, verse 17. Mercy is an attitude of compassion towards those in distress. Now get this, and it leads to practical help. So it's not just a feeling. Mercy is not just sympathy, but it's an attitude that leads to doing something about a need. It's a concern that leads to action. And for James, it's about being a doer of the word. What did Jesus think? Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. James said in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he said, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And here's what I want us to see. But because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. God has a high value for mercy. It's about Mercy is about having compassion and then doing something about it. And then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And um, when push comes to shove, you're split between, is this, should I not do this because these, these people don't deserve it? Or should I do this to be merciful? Lean on mercy every time, every time, every time. You know, you have to be wise on making choices about things that you give to. Mercy is not evaluating whether somebody deserves your help. Mercy is compassion and then doing something. Also in verse 17, true wisdom produces good fruit. Fruit is the outgrowth of what is growing on the inner life. Uh, a great passage is Galatians 5:22 and 23. Good fruit. Galatians 5:22 and 23. We have that. There we go. But the fruit of the spirit. By the way, here's what I want you to notice. The whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit has not been well developed yet in James's day. James is writing very practical Christianity. Do this. Don't do this. He's talking about inner attitudes. It's the Apostle Paul who will develop the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Much of what James talks about is the same as Paul would talk about in walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so the fruit of wisdom is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of wisdom is a loving attitude, is a joyful person, is a person who seeks peace, is a person... Wisdom from above is patient. Wisdom from above is kind, is full of goodness. Wisdom from above is faithful. Wisdom from above is gentle. Wisdom from above leads to self-control, self-leadership, being able to bridle your own tongue. Doesn't mean, you know, James, uh, Paul talks about in Romans 7 the, the struggle of the, of the flesh and the spirit, how at times he feels this way and at times he feels this way. There's a war going on inside, Galatians chapter 5. 
But self-control wins the day. doesn't mean that you won't have struggles. There's a lot of struggles in the inner life. I just want you to know that's normal. Galatians 5 says the conflict is normal. If you're a Christian and you're red-blooded and your heart is beating, you're probably going to have some inner conflict. But self-control comes from wisdom, comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, verse 17, true wisdom is impartial and sincere. Impartial meaning um, true wisdom is objective. It's not a respecter of person. It does not play favorites. Um, God is not a respecter of persons. And this is right out of James chapter 2 when we're not to play favorites. Um, Also, true wisdom is sincere. That's a word that meant something to James that means a little bit. For us, sincere just means you had good intentions. You might be right or wrong, but you had good intentions, so you were sincere. That's not what James means at all. James means um, sincere, that there's no cover-up, there's no mask, is not hypocritical, because the hypocritical, you remember in the first century uh, in the Greek world, an actor was a hypocrite. That was, that's the Greek word for actor. And, and they wore a mask. That was all fun. They, they played up character. But that's a hypocrite. And uh, you don't want to do that in real life is the point. And someone who is sincere is authentic and honest. That's what it means to be sincere. They're genuine. They're the real deal. Also, verse 18, true wisdom leads to peacemaking and a harvest of righteousness. James says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This is wisdom from above. It produces peacemakers about building healthy relationships, not dysfunctional relationships. It results in significant spiritual growth. Significant spiritual growth. It results in a harvest of righteousness. That's a truckload of righteousness. Uh, meaning we become more and more like Jesus. It's spiritual growth. True wisdom leads to your spiritual growth, a harvest of righteousness. So here's what we've talked about. Heavenly wisdom is displayed through uh, self-centeredness that leads... um, Heavenly wisdom is displayed through Christ's followers' lifestyle, not self-centeredness. And remember, James says, show me. Show me your wisdom. I want to see it. Are you humble? Show me your life. Show me your good works. Earthly wisdom is displayed through self-centeredness. And it leads to self-promotion and selfish ambition. Heavenly wisdom leads to righteousness. And we grow in spiritual maturity and become more like Jesus. The danger for us is to rely on our own strength. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. One of the best-known Proverbs in the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That is true wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Yes, use your understanding to make decisions. But don't lean on your understanding only. That's the biggest danger we have. It's easy to do it every day. To lean on your own understanding and not run it through the filter of truth, 
not run it through the filter of God's perspective and just leave God out of the the equation. So that's James chapter 3. Today, we're going to close our time um, with a time of communion. And I want to read about wisdom from another passage. This is one of my favorite passages also. I have about 500 favorite passages. And um, listen to this. This is about wisdom. This is really meaningful to me because when I was in college, I was an atheist, and I was searching for meaning and significance. And so I studied philosophy because philosophy is about searching for wisdom, okay? Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They just can't get it. It doesn't make sense to someone. The message of the cross, that Jesus died for our sins. That's not uh, um, easy. When you think about it, it doesn't seem to make sense, at least from our perspective. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. That's the Western mindset. That's us. Look for wisdom. But we, Paul says, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Western mind. He says the Gentiles, to the Western mind. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ crucified from earthly wisdom doesn't make sense. And we're here today because Jesus was crucified because of the wisdom of God and he made a way for our salvation. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. And that's what we do when we take communion. We, we take that small piece of bread. And if, 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 uh, if you're a guest today, everybody is welcome to participate. It's about honoring Jesus. And when you take that small piece of bread, it's just a reminder. Jesus died for you. It represents his body. It was nailed to a cross. And when we take that cup and we drink it, It's a reminder of the blood that Jesus shed for us. We stop, we think, we reflect, and we say, thank you, God, for dying for me. That's what communion is all about.